Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Actus Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, May 16, marks our 97th program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Actus Conference Send-Off. Yes, we are ready to ship out to San Antonio, Texas. So next, I'd like to introduce our industry guests for today's program. They're familiar faces to Actus Radio. We have with us at left, Laurie Prescott. Laurie is the CDI Education Director for here for us here at Actus in Middleton, Mass. She's the developer and lead instructor for the Actus Bootcamp line. Um, in conjunction with our other special guest today, Shannon McCall, Prescott co-developed the Risk Adjustment Documentation and Coding Bootcamp. And you can see Laurie's background there prior to joining us here at Actus, and I'm pleased to have her back on the show. So welcome, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. Right. Next, I'd like to introduce uh, Shannon McCall. Shannon is the Director of Coding and HIM for Simplify Compliance, where she manages the instructors of the Certified Coder Boot Camps, which cover a wide range of coding in different settings, including physician, outpatient hospital coding, and inpatient hospital facility coding. As I just mentioned, she co-developed our new Risk Adjustment Documentation and Coding Boot Camp in conjunction with Laurie. Um, you can see Shannon's background there, and I'm pleased to have her on the show as well. So welcome, Shannon. Thank you so much. And hey, everybody out there in Actus World, looking forward to seeing you. <laughs> Absolutely. Looking forward to seeing you next week, too, Shannon. Both of these guys will be at the conference along with the whole Actus team. So let's get started with a poll question related to today's topic of Actus Conference Send-Off. We're asking our folks, uh, what are you most looking forward to at our 11th annual Actus Conference? Again, we're in San Antonio next week, May 21 to 24. Is it our educational tracks and sessions? Uh, perhaps our, one of our inspiring keynotes, we have three of them this year, kicking off each day of the main conference. Uh, networking with peers, always a very valuable aspect of the conference. We're expecting more than 1,500 attendees, as well as another 300 or so exhibitors. Um, so that's a valuable part. San Antonio atmosphere, we've, we've been to San Antonio once before in 2015, beautiful city. I'm looking forward to going back. Or maybe you're not going this year. We realize it's not in everyone's uh, budget or ability to get to the conference every year. So again, what are you most looking forward to at the conference? educational tracks, keynotes, networking, the city itself, um, or not going. All right, we've got about three quarters of our audience that have taken our poll, so we're gonna go ahead and close this out and we will come back to that uh, in just a little while. All right, as I mentioned, our guests today are Laurie and Shannon. Welcome to the program, guys. Thanks for being a part of Actus Radio. You know, there's a lot to talk about about the conference every year, and this year is no exception. And we do have a great event in store, but 
you know, before we get there and for the folks that aren't able to go, we're, we're going to make today's show, you know, content driven as well and talk a little bit about the educational sessions that you two plan to present. Um, so let's start with Shannon. You know, I, I know that Shannon, you and um, fellow boot camp instructor Debbie Mackerman, who's presented the last couple of years at Actus, I believe, uh, are presenting on a little bit of a stretch topic. And, and I know you guys are still even figuring out how you're going to do this format wise, but uh, it's called Making Sense and Demystifying the Relationships Within the Grouper. So I'll go ahead and just pull up where that is in the brochure so folks can see when you're presenting in case they're interested in this session. But can you talk a little bit about what you plan to cover there and, and, and how you plan to do it, if if you know at this point? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I was going to say, Brian, it's going to sound like I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I promise we have something that is important. <laughs> Do not worry. Um, our session really was created based off of a suggestion from uh, members and prior attendees um, and feedback. Uh, it was you know a topic I typically you know thought most CDIs may already kind of know but you know sometimes I know you know having uh, been in the industry for so long sometimes I take things for granted as I know many of us do um, but uh, it's it is a session targeted at MSDRG assignment and it's mostly intended for newer documentation specialists but there's certainly concepts even a fairly seasoned CDI can certainly benefit from by attending the session um, we're going to be illustrating common examples where the DRG assignment isn't as straightforward as it appears um, I'm thrilled to be joined by the unmatched expertise of my co-speaker, Debbie Mackeman. Uh, she has a wealth of knowledge, and she's going to be also covering some of the lesser-known adjustments uh, that can be made to DRG, ultimately affecting overall reimbursement. So we're going to try and make this be a kind of a fun session. I know we always try to search for some way to have fun in these sessions. Um, but in a different manner, I mean, it's really one where we're going to try and illustrate very clearly how the manipulation of diagnoses and procedures can ultimately affect the DRG, and most importantly, uh, the reimbursement, too, that can accompany those differences in changing diagnoses and procedures around. Absolutely. It sounds interesting. I'll have to poke my head in there and see how it's going. You know, um, obviously, Shannon, you... you yeah. You come from an HIM coding background. You're an RHIA CCS, although you have obtained your CCDS, which is nice to see. Um, but I, I, I know you understand the DRG grouper well, the grouping methodology. You know, there, there is there is debate in the industry about how much a CDI specialist needs to know. Especially, most of them are not responsible for final code assignments. So, you know, how does knowledge of these procedures, diagnoses, and their impact? help a CDI specialist in their day-to-day -day work, especially now with the, you know, with, with the, the technology available in these uh, automated groupers that most folks are using at this point. Sure, Brian. Um, I have been, you know, teaching inpatient coding for about 15 years. Um, I wrote the inpatient boot camp um, back in, well, it's actually more than that. Um, but uh, but it was, um, and I've also been in the HIM profession for 20 plus years. So uh, even though um, I had to laugh when you were mentioning about that I'd gotten my CCDS, um, I know it may be a newsflash, but I took actually the first CCDS exam. <laughs> but, um, I've been a CCDS for a long time. <laughs> but uh, so you know, in you know, in my experience, many rely solely on the grouper. Uh, 
uh, by whether it's through 3M or if it's through other types of programs. I always think that I always start with what I know I'm most familiar with, but I know Optum's got some of those groupers too. But regardless of who it is, um, but most people, you know, there's a grouper that they just hit enter. And voila, there's a DRG. Um, and with, you know, my extensive background as being a coding educator, I find that one of the skill sets that most people do not have um, is that in order to truly understand the DRG classification system, there is vital importance in understanding the mechanics further than just reliance on what the grouper says. Um, how diagnoses and procedures when they're manipulated can change the DRG and ultimately change reimbursement. So, um, you know, I think this is just a vital piece of any CDI specialist role um, because much of what they do, I know there's so many hats that CDIs wear these days, so it's certainly not just about this. But, uh, but it is an integral piece of understanding, you know, impacts on reimbursement and how documentation to support diagnoses and procedures ultimately impact that. So, you know, I really look forward to, you know, the ACTIS conference every year, especially, you know, seeing all those smiling faces. So, uh, you know, whether, you know, you attend our session or if you feel like you kind of already have mastered all the MSDRG stuff or go to another session, um, I know you're going to learn and you're going to love every minute of the conference in San Antonio. So, uh, but that's kind of a summary of what our session is, uh, is about and uh, what, you know, our intention is in trying to help CDIs do their job better. All right, that's awesome. Thanks, Shannon. Really looking forward to it, and uh, it sounds great. And obviously, a very important topic for CDI specialists to understand, kind of the underlying methodology you just talked about. So, sounds great. Um, let's talk about your session, Laurie. You're going to be covering a topic near and dear to many CDI specialist hearts uh, in our leadership and management track. Title your session is "How Many Hats Is Too Many." Uh, balancing expansion with resources and staff abilities. So, so obviously, you know, with the expansion of CDI into many different areas, quality, uh, outpatient slash risk adjustment, um, you know, even concurrent coding, there's just so many different ways this profession is expanding, which is exciting, but also could be exhausting and overwhelming for folks that are trying to maintain their focus. So. Can you give maybe our audience just a little bit of an indication of what it is that you, you plan to cover next week? Yeah. Um, you know, Brian, this um, presentation kind of fell out of multiple discussions I've had with leaders and managers through CDI over the years. And the, the one thing I found, no matter the role that I have been in professionally, is that if you do a job well and you demonstrate that you can impact an organization's success, people start to hand you different hats to wear um, because the assumption is you did that well, then of course you can expand to this new area. And that can get really overwhelming because if you every day are being asked to take on something new, the issue is where do you find that balance to make sure that what you, um, that new focus doesn't impede or damage your initial success in other areas. And that's where I see a lot of CDI managers struggling so when I'm asked that, when people ask me to take on a new task, the first thing that I look at is, you know, that's a compliment. That means I'm doing something well, um, and I need to look at what this request is and to see how to um, better manage it. So putting the presentation together, what I tried to do was describe a process of how to filter these requests for expansion through your identified mission. So looking at what brought your department to task in the first place 
and discuss ways to assess your staffing and resource needs so that you can respond um, with a thoughtful assessment of your abilities and needs related to the expansion. I don't, I encourage people not to say yes or no to the first request that's given to them, but to say, wait a minute, we really need to think about it. You know, one of the things I noticed looking at the industry survey by Actus in 2017 was um, we asked the question, is your department expanding to include quality-based reviews? And were your FTEs increase, increased as well, your full-time equivalents? Over 50% of those answered that question with the fact that they had expanded their focus, but their FTEs weren't expanded. So they weren't given new staff. They were just given new responsibilities. And the interesting piece is that over 36% of those that responded that they had expanded, they also indicated that their staff were now functioning with decreased productivity, which leads me to think that their initial focus that they were endorsed to do as a new CDI department likely was suffering for the fact that new expansion was added on. So if productivity is failing, that probably means that the CDIs are not meeting that initial mission. So the idea of the presentation is to discuss that and make sure um, help managers be more aware of the impact and how to communicate effectively to their leadership about issues when they're asked to expand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it really is a double-edged sword with, with with the expansion of CDI, I, I, I personally think it's exciting and it, it changes the nature of what we do. And, and frankly, every profession has to change with new regula regulations that come out, new technologies. Um, but you know, it, it, there does come a point where two hats are too many. Maybe there's diversification needed. Maybe there's role specialization needed. We're starting to hear about you know, quality reviewers and, and uh, obviously outpatient CDI specialists. Um, so, you know, there, there are some, maybe some techniques. You know, I, I can't ask you to summarize your entire presentation in two minutes, um, but, you know, just in, in looking at all of these additional responsibilities, we haven't even touched on, you know, um, things like denials and, and medical necessity strengthening, which is one of the medical necessity for inpatient stays is one of the big denial areas. You know, how many hats are too many and, and sort of, do you have any just broad tips that you plan on covering for how a CDI manager can balance these additional review demands, perhaps being asked of their staff? So you, you're giving me two minutes. <laughs> yeah, we got two minutes to cover that. <laughs> we got two minutes. Well, I'll try. Um, short answer is there's no answer um, when it comes to how many hats you can wear. Um, it's you can take on as many hats as you have resources and abilities to add on. And one standard response I've always given in whatever job role I've, I've been in where people have asked me to do more, I've probably actually said this to you, Brian. Um, when someone asked me to take on something new, you know, my first thought is, look at what I'm doing now. Do I have the resources to expand? And if I don't have the resources to expand, my response is, what should I not what should I stop doing to take on this new initiative? Help me prioritize where you want my focus. So that's that's one piece that I think managers have to do is when they're asked to expand or take on a new focus, if they feel that they cannot do it with the existing resources they have, is one, give an accurate assessment of what those resources are that I need, what is it that my staff needs, 
And if the answer is no new resources, then the next question is, can you help me understand what we can take off our list? What are the responsibilities maybe someone else can do? Um, so it's, it's a hard discussion to have in that prioritization, but I find if um, you just immediately say no to a, a request, if someone asks you to do something and your first response is always no, I can't do it, I don't have the capabilities to do it, you're seen as a naysayer, you're not seen as a team player. So you can't always respond with no, but you can respond with we need to think about this, there are some questions to be asked, let's do a thorough assessment and plan and decide how deep we can dive into this. Um, because if you just say no, I promise you, people will stop listening to you and you're still gonna get those added responsibilities. So you have to, you have to do it as part of a team and address it as a problem. The other issue is you can't always just say yes. Um, it's, I'm, I'm one of those people, if there's something new, I find it exciting. I wanna say yes to everything because it's a growth experience and you can't just start with yes. You have to go through that process of assessing what you have now and what are you going to need to succeed? And that's gonna take a little time. So um, you've gotta balance it and have honest mm -hmm. discussions with both your staff and leadership to figure out what is it that you need to make sure that it happens. Because change is good, but you have to do that. You have to go through that process well-planned and communicate so that you do have what you need to succeed. Absolutely. I appreciate that. You know, there's some great takeaways there, Laurie. I love the communication and the methodical approach for what it is you're doing. And uh, sounds like a great session. I was just taking a look, Laurie. You're unfortunately stacked against some heavyweights in your in your bracket here. We have, you know, surgical complication or not uh -uh. at the same time going on. We've got we've got an OIG malnutrition session. Uh, we have a couple of folks from AHIMA, Tammy Combs and Melanie Endicott, presenting on denials. So. Um, it's going to wow. be tough for folks to choose. Yeah, where they're where they're okay. going to go with that one. Apologize, well, I, I I should have put you somewhere else, but you know it's too Yeah, late you now. should have put me where there was less competition. <laughs> At least I'm not going head to head with Shannon, right? So right, yeah, you yeah. Okay. you guys did go head to head a couple of years ago, right? We, we did. Oh, we, we, we did. <laughs> we need to see a reprisal of that at some point. <laughs> You know, can you guys just speak into the boxing match? And for those that ha don't remember, two years ago we had a, a Docky Balboa versus um, who was your character? The, the, the other character I was Apollo, we had. I was, was Apollo, I was Apollo Code. Apollo Code. Apollo yeah, that was Code, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Maybe we'll see a rematch someday. But you know, we oh. we, we we also try to have fun at the Actus Conference. Um, I know the, these events are a lot of work, a lot of planning and preparation, and speaker coordination and hotel contracting, but we have some fun too. And, and just you guys, maybe we could just conclude any, anything that you are both personally, professionally looking forward to at, at the conference outside of the sessions you'll be presenting and, and really what, 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 uh, what you hope to accomplish next week and maybe who you hope to see. Why don't we start with Shannon, perhaps. You're a veteran of this Alrighty. program. Okay. And I will. Yes, that is true. That is true. Um, you know, I, honestly, I just look forward to seeing all these friendly faces. I mean, I love to, uh, to, to go to the conference, see all the attendees and the smiles on their faces and then have 
having a great time and us having a great time. So, you know, really, I mean, some of the, you know, points I can give having been to every ACTUS conference we've had and spoken at, I believe, you know, all of them, I think but one, um, is uh, make sure you take advantage of the pre-registration um, that we have that's, I believe, what, 2 to 7.30, Brian, I think, on uh, that Monday night. Um, that's always a great yep. thing to take advantage of, just uh, rather than, and you may have mentioned that, I don't mean to steal thunder. Um, but other things, you know, also make sure you come up with a game plan of what sessions you want to attend. Um, there's so many great speakers, but, um, you know, try and come up with a game plan of the things that are most important to you, um, especially for those who are new to come into the conference. And, you know, if you have questions, ask the active staff. I mean, because, you know, we're here to make your experience the best possible. So, um, you know, make sure that if you're not not sure, you know, and of course there's always follow the crowd, um, because usually um, that, that's, a, that's a key indicator as well too. Um, but most of all, just have fun and have a great time. So, um, so those are just, you know, the things that I look forward to is getting a chance to, to uh, see all of my colleagues as well as be able to um, see all of the, the friendly active members' faces. Right. You know, Shannon, you mentioned planning out what sessions you want to go to. So our Actus app is now live. Yeah, it went live last night. We have a number of folks taking advantage of the social media feed with some fun pictures. Uh, if you go to the agenda um, in, that, in our app at the bottom center, you can actually see all the sessions and you can click a little calendar button and, and plan your own um, virtual conference right in your app so you know which sessions you want to hit. Uh, the slides are in there. You can take a look at them, the session descriptions to help you make your decision about where you might want to go. So uh, all our attendees should have received an email last night with the uh, instructions to download the app. So take advantage of that. Laurie, how about yourself? Any any uh, any suggestions for first-time conference goers or or uh, or those that have been there before? Well, I always tell people just to relax and have fun. Um, I see this conference. I've been to a number of different professional conferences over my career, and there's something really special about Actus. The people that come come ready to learn and share, and they're very positive and eager. So if you're new, don't think you don't have anything to offer, speak up. Um, I think the real learning happens actually in the exhibit hall, in the hallways, in the restrooms, in the, you know, the bars after hours, that networking that happens with people and, you know, at the people that are, feel very comfortable asking questions, it's really non-judgmental, no question is stupid, and everybody there's got something to share, um, and that's the piece that I think is so special is that it's an environment where everybody is there to support and learn with each other. So relax and enjoy it. Bring home some new tidbits that'll help you. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's an underrated part. Thanks, Lori. All right, let's take a quick look at what our audience is most looking forward to about the Actus Conference. So again, we asked, uh, what are you most looking forward to in our 11th annual program? Um, you know, 70% aren't able to go this year and we, we, we realize that many hospitals or organizations rotate their staff through so I guess that's not surprising but the majority that are going 22% educational tracks and sessions 1% um, on the keynotes 1% on San Antonio and second place was that networking you just uh, referred to Laurie any any comments on this guys I wish I could take the 70% with me. <laughs> I know. Exactly. I, I pack them in my suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need right. that extra pair of shoes, right? 
course not. <laughs> of course not. Well, certainly from the you know the seventy percent. I mean, we're just thrilled that you joined us today. How about that? Uh, and uh, and obviously, you know, dedicated to the uh, the CDI profession. And you know, the the good news is if you have friends that are going, um, usually they they can maybe bring back some tidbits tidbits to share with you. Right. Definitely. All right. Thanks, guys. Let's um let's bounce over quickly here to our in the news segment. Again, in the news is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Today, I'd like to share with you guys an article um, by the Pulmonary and Critical Care Newsletter, 2018 Update to Surviving Sepsis Guidelines, Q Backlash. Um, you can view this article on the Palm CCM website, as I always do. I will provide you guys with the, sh uh, the link to this article in the show notes. Say that every week, and I just want you guys to to, to know that if you go to actus.org uh, forward slash actus radio, you can find all of our past programs here. So if there is a show that you were interested in, missed, um, or wanted to learn more about one of these links, check it out there. But let's go back to the article here. So uh, from the website, in their 2018 update, the Surviving Sepsis Campaign's guidelines, which were released um, April 18th of this year, uh, attempt to accelerate care delivery for sepsis um, that those those guidelines advise that within one hour physicians and healthcare teams should begin to collect blood cultures and lactate begin 30 milliliters per kilogram fluid resuscitation for hypotension and lactemia and start vasopressors for selected patients previously so prior to this these interventions were advised within three and six hour time frame so a lot tighter time frame now being advised uh, but this article again with the with the backlash portion uh, states that the authors cite no new evidence for such a significant change merely stating that quote we believe this reflects the clinical reality at the bedside of these seriously ill patients with sepsis and septic shock that clinicians begin treatment immediately especially in patients with hypertension, rather than waiting or extending resuscitation measures over a longer period. Uh, they seem buoyed by the New York State's reported sepsis outcomes. Um, and these, the new guidelines try to push back the recently invented sepsis clock to start the moment a patient is first seen in the ED. Um, the article goes on to mention there is important, an important fact goes unmentioned that there is no accurate and reliable test for sepsis. So any sepsis trigger will necessarily be based on error-prone heuristics. They talk about the SERS criteria, the Q-SOFA, uh, procalcitonin, et cetera, that often have high false positive rate, rates, the potential for over-treatment, especially in the enormous population of patients with lactotemia without hypertension. Um, this article do, does describe several articles, and there are some interesting links here to some rebuttals um, about these new guidelines, uh, as well as an online petition, frankly, which is interesting. Um, it's already, according to these article authors, have gathered hundreds of signatures in the day or so since it was uh, created. Um, so it also cites emergency department physicians expressing concern about feeling be, feeling forced to constrain to follow these, um, you know, intensive care physicians dismayed when receiving such patients. Um, and so how the one hour time frame, 
time frame, excuse me, virtually eliminates thoughtful clinical decision making by emergency physicians and forcing their teams to scramble into protocolized overtreatment for tens of thousands of non-septic patients. So, you know, I, it's it's an interesting article. Uh, just to plug the ACTUS conference one last time, we are going to have a great session by uh, a Dr. Sam Antonios on sepsis. He's well aware of this article and some of the recent controversies, so we'll be covering it. But maybe just for Shannon and Laurie, uh, can I ask for your thoughts on this? Do you think that there is justifiable resistance by physicians to these new guidelines? You know, there obviously there is a need, goes without saying, for life-saving protocols, but is this too much of an overreach of, you know, that individual clinical decision-making, which we value so highly? by physicians in favor of this of this new protocol. Any thoughts on this? I can start. Um, I think, um, you know, guidelines are set for a lot of reasons, and one of them is to help us save lives. So I, I love that we are looking at treatment protocols for sepsis, because, you know, a lot of people that attend my class, they giggle when I say back in the days, when I was working with Florence Nightingale, the diagnosis of sepsis meant death um, because we didn't react fast enough and we didn't treat fast enough. So I think these protocols are helpful, but we also have to apply medical judgment and critical thinking to them. And I, you know, just because there's a, a guideline set does not mean that a physician should apply it without first assessing the unique patient in front of them. But I think as CDIs, what we need to think about is that our physicians are being pressured by multiple, multiple different directions when it comes to the treatment and the diagnosis of sepsis. This article is just one example of how the industry is, there's just multiple competing definitions, multiple competing treatment plans. We have to know that that's going through their brain when we amble up to them with that query on sepsis and make sure that um, we're working to help standardize practice within our organization and within our physicians and help them through this process to make sure they're documenting right. And I think that's where Shannon's gonna come in and talk about what it's like to be a coder when it comes to sepsis. <laughs> of course I will. Well, of course, you know, this article, when I read it, it kind of came from the standpoint of, you know, it was using the sepsis three criteria because they were referring to, you know, sepsis formerly referred to as severe sepsis, which of course, you know, many hospitals have not adopted, you know, the sepsis three criteria as it is, um, as well as we know CMS has not accepted it, nor is it incorporated in the official guidelines. So from a coding standpoint, my concern is over, they were talking about, you know, one of the major issues they had was the, the thousands or tens of thousands of patients who were really not septic is the um, demand for documentation specialists to ensure that in the documentation that sepsis is being documented as a ruled out with a D on the end, a ruled out condition so that it is not arguable whether there should have been a code assigned for that and not that it was um, never a septic patient, but it was more prophylactic to prevent it from happening and that time frame being back down to an hour. 
Um, you know, I can't speak from the, the clinical standpoint of, you know, the, the time frame, you know, as a non-clinician, but, you know, from a coding standpoint, that's the main thing that I see as being an issue is that, you know, co that the code assignment, if it's been ruled out in the documentation based off of these changes, and of course, providers, you know, there's so much guidance, as Lori mentioned, um, of varying degrees, it makes a complex topic even more complex when you've got different providers that are giving different guidance and follow different guidelines. And I know that just makes the CDI's role even harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, an interesting issue here, which we'll continue to monitor, but really appreciate your thoughts on that, guys. Again, you might want to consider going to our sepsis session at the ACTUS conference next week. Um, all right, so we're at this point, we're going to go ahead and, and wrap up today's show. We're, we're past the top of the hour. I want to thank everyone for, for joining us today and listening to our final send-off for the 11th Annual Actus Conference. I welcome, uh, for those that are coming and are 30% of our audience today, please come up and see see us all next week. We're all going to be there, Shannon, Laurie, and I, along with the rest of the Actus staff. It would be great to put faces to names, some of our folks that ask great questions on the, on the program. Uh, we'll be there, so take a look for us in San Antonio. We'll be back here again in three weeks. So we're, we're off next week, and then we're off the, the week after. But we'll be back June 6th for the return of Actus Radio. And if you have any suggestions, future guests, ideas about the format of the show, future topics, we'd love to hear from you. Please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. That'll do it today. We'll, we'll see you back here again in three weeks, and uh, happy travels to San Antonio. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye, guys. Bye.